Hello, welcome to the Hales Owen Apostolic Church. Apostolic meaning what God says, not what man thinks. Please enjoy this teaching, and if you want more, please visit the YouTube channel or the website on www.halesowenapostolicchurch.org. Right. Just came across a, uh, we were talking about George Muller, Mueller. Linda, Linda gave us a bit of a testimony of, uh, they went to Bristol and uh, into one of the, into one of his orphanages or something. Um, part of the uni. Yeah, and so I came across this, this is just written in my Bible, and it says, uh, this is George Muller, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. Hallelujah. Now that is a vision for us all, isn't it? That is something. It, well, it's just in my Bible, page 774. Uh, it, it's, it's, it is really good, actually. This is the um, Evidence Study Bible. So it's got loads of stuff like that, just to kind of give you a bit more uh, to, you know, people, to speak to people about the Word of God. But that's so true. And that touches on what I'm going to be talking to you about today. Because um, part of it is, you know, what if Jesus was serious about some of the stuff he taught us? But we're, get, we're going to come on to that anyway. So the title of this sermon is The Curse of Man. Hello! <laughs> yeah, nice happy. <laughs> yeah, happy. Go- no, I'm only joking. I mean, it does sound quite bad, but obviously there's going to be something good coming from this. And this sermon is taken from Jeremiah, uh, chapter 17, verse 15 to 11. I'm just going to read that out because it's really good. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and not see when good comes but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes but its leaf will be green And will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. As a partridge that broods but does not hatch, so is he who gets riches but not by right. It will leave him in the midst of his days, and at the end he will be a fool. What a piece of scripture. What a teaching in itself. I I could just go, and that is a sermon for everybody to try and digest over the next week. Incredible. And you know, when we're in the world, we often hear people say, follow your heart, do what your heart desires. That's your vision, that's your aim. Well, if you want to act unwisely and be a fool, then please go ahead. Follow your heart's desires. 
The heart is flesh, and flesh reaps not just corruption, but destruction. In Galatians 6, 8, corruption and destruction. That's what happens if we follow the desires of the heart. The desires of the heart cannot be trusted. That's what God's telling us. So when the stakes are as high as hell or heaven, massive, massive, massive stakes, why do we let flesh have its way? I'm going to look at some of this, some aspects of that later. But anyone who's studied this human behaviour, or has even just lived on this earth, should know that the flesh can be deceived. We don't always see things for what they are. We don't always make the best decisions for our health or for our well-being. So this is going to be a really simple message, a short, simple message for anybody today, which we do already know. But it's a, there's some interesting aspects. That, you know, you, we can re-study and study and study the same topic, and you can each time come at it from a different angle and get more from the Word. The bottom line is, though, something gets in the way, doesn't it? Something gets in the way. Why do we make decisions? Just look at it from a fleshly perspective, from the worldly perspective. Why do we make decisions that don't always benefit ourselves? I think we're all guilty of that. I am not preaching to you <laughs> from a position of perfection. I'm in the same boat. Preaching to you just because I've got a bit of boldness and I've got the word. That's it. And the spirit, of course, which guides me. Psalms 51.5. And so this is something gets in the way. Let's try and pin down what that something might be. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I'm just going to turn the volume down a bit. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Ecclesiastes 7.20 For there is not a just man upon the earth that do, doeth good and sinneth not. We're born into sin. Not just us. Our parents. Their parents. Their parents' parents. Generation after generation, since the fall of man, has been born into sin. No wonder we struggle with the burden of sin. Generational sin. Pulling us down. Affecting the way we see life. And affecting our decision making. The small things. The big things. We are prone. Our hearts are deceived. We are prone to sin and indulge in whatever our heart and our flesh feels like. And even worse, we've created this godless structure of society to facilitate that and help that happen, to encourage us. Go on, keep going after the flesh, keep doing it. Every whim that you can imagine. This society has created something to indulge the heart. Yet, the heart, what did that scripture say? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. What does that say about the world we find ourselves in? What does that say specifically about Western post-Christian cultures? Desperately wicked, indeed, thank you. So those scriptures were BC, before Jesus. What about after? What does the scripture tell us about after Jesus, what man's like? Did man change at all? Has this situation been affected? I know you could guess the answer. Just a couple of scriptures. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, 
and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned and Romans 3.23 for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God no man didn't change just like the scripture from Jeremiah man was like this before Christ after Christ during Christ and today there's clearly something wrong with mankind isn't there would anyone like to disagree and take, come up here and explain? The inability to always do what is right is an issue, isn't it? In other words, we have this struggle with sin, and it genuinely does last a lifetime. It should be a struggle as well, because the day it's not a struggle, it shows you the day that you're not challenging it. You accept it. God gives us up to our sin if we don't keep coming back to God. Are you foolish? Maybe you're foolish sometimes. I'm foolish sometimes. God wants us to judge ourselves to see how foolish we are. And to deal with our own issues before we try to interfere and help with other people. Lest we all fall down. The work is personal. And it is really focused on the little things in life. 1 Corinthians 11.27 It says a man must examine himself. Further on in 13.5 it says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. And then with an exclamation mark it says, examine yourselves. Galatians 6.4, but each one must examine his own work. And then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not regard to another. And Matthew 7.3, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank? in your own eye deal with that first and then you can help your brother and if we were really to judge ourselves if we were really to look at are we still in the faith what are we doing personally and then if we were to really go with our feelings if we were to judge what our feelings are trying to get us and separate what our feelings say we should do what God says we should do and then we went with the feelings all the time do you think that would be foolish the things that the mind and the body conjures up for us to do and if we to, were to do them we would be very foolish indeed I would be and even so there is often that battle do I do the right thing because it's right or because it feels right do I do more of the good I should know, I should do, or the evil I do not want to do? You can see what scriptures come in next. <laughs> Paul in Romans 7.19, he had the same revelation. He definitely came to the same conclusion that something, something in his life was pulling him away from the higher calling of God, away from doing the right thing. And he came to the conclusion, do you know what it was? him it was himself he says he knows the things he should be doing and he doesn't do it yet he does the stuff he does it's all him it's himself it's in us it's man's problem jeremiah 17 5 it's not just one of these whimsical statements it's incredibly clear it's very specific and god is so kind and gracious he gives us analogies similes metaphors things in of the english language 
to help us see the meaning, the depth, the truth that he wants us to understand and get into our lives. God wants us to increase in our understanding of him. That's why he does that. He wants us to increase in our understanding of the truth. But understanding is only part of it. It's the spirit. It's the will. What is our will? We're going to come back onto that. But there's no need for interpretation. We have this discussion, don't we, a lot with people when we're witnessing. And there isn't that first scripture that I read to you that is basically put God first, follow God, keep his word, keep coming back if you make mistakes. Don't worry, God is always there as long as you keep coming back to him. That doesn't need interpretation. That is a continuous theme that runs throughout the Bible, Old, New Testament. That's very clear. We can put it into practice now. The temptation not to put God first, for some reason, though, is greatly alluring, isn't it? We desire, there's that temptation to put other stuff before God all the time. And that is the theme that runs through the Bible. I might go so far as to say that that is the purpose of the Bible to help us reorder our lives and prioritise God above all things. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. It's the spirit, it is the spirit that quickens. The flesh profiteth, profiteth nothing. The words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. That's John 6 63, the other one was Matthew 26, 41, and Galatians 6, 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. In fact, the Bible shows us just how flesh-focused, worldly and heart-hearted man can become if this is unchecked. If when the heart departs from the Lord, we have testimony upon testimony in our Bible of what happens, how debased society becomes, how you can just see the darkness plaguing them, and we live it, we see aspects of that now. And that is the curse. That is the curse of man. And Everyone has to believe in something, but no one, because no one has all the answers. That's the issue. So, it wiser is it wiser to let God fill in the blanks, or is it wiser to let man fill in the blanks? And that, I believe, is man's curse. Man seems to get the answer to that question mixed up. Is it wiser to trust in God to fill the blanks, or man? As soon as you remove that that link through the Holy Spirit between God and us, we are cursed. We are cursed to follow that fleshly path. Andrew was telling me about a vicar that she spoke to this weekend, not full of the Holy Spirit, lost, not sticking to the Bible, getting carried away with the ways of the world. That's the curse. Yet he thinks he's doing the right thing. Well, no, he worships a different God. The Bible tells us that like a fluttering sparrow, or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. That's Proverbs 26.2. 
And this means that, that curses made against innocent people have no effect. Romans 5.1 Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus, Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So Christians are moved from undeserving to deserving through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The Christian inheritance on this earth is the mind and the spirit of Christ. And these people have been justified by God and are therefore undeserving of punishment. So if we follow God, there is no curse. Jesus made us free from the indwelling, indwelling sin. Yeah. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So God simply doesn't allow his children to be cursed. No one has the power to curse anyone who God has decided to bless. God is the only one able to pronounce judgment and separate us from the curse of death. So stay with God and your path will be blessed. As I was writing this, I was thinking about Christians. And you, you might already be there. And I know we, so we say, don't we, that we're trying to be Christians. I don't think we're anyone's there. But in terms of thinking, I, you can't, I used to say I'm a born-again Christian. That's wrong. It didn't seem right. Because how can you have a not born again Christian? If, if you're trying to be a Christian, you follow Jesus. Even Jesus got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's one of the problems we see. And this way, this curse being brought into the church, being brought into society, because they do not have the Spirit. The people that were given authority for the kingdom of God on earth did not and do not have the spirit and that's why it's declining that's why it's death they have that law they are still in the law of sin and death because they have not been separated from that through the Holy Spirit so why? I mean this sounds if I got a child who could speak English and explain this to them I don't think they'd ever have a problem with this <laughs> they'd be like well it's obvious yeah uh, but why has it become so attractive for people to put their trust in man, and by man I mean ourselves, as well as other humans, other people, rather than God? Why is that so, such an attractive thing? You know, just looking at it logically, in the cold light of day, would that ever make any sense? Can anyone make any sense of that? God or man? Surely, I, you know, even if I didn't believe in God as the true, one true God. Any God's better than that, surely. Yet here we are, in a country, on a planet, that seems increasingly to, to do the opposite of God's will, and trust in man for absolutely everything. Um, 
there are aspects of society that still aim for the same virtues. You know, sanctification. We're going to come on to the Beatitudes in a bit, but the things that Jesus tried to teach us there, I think there's part of society that will try and do that. But without God. They do it through the strength of man, in the sin, scrabbling around in the dark. Foolish. Jeremiah Jeremiah was writing down the words from God as a pen writes down our words when we write a letter. And he told us, God told us, that that was a foolish way to go. The source of all knowledge in the universe tells, tells us that it is foolish to follow the ways of man. The problem is that people aren't making decisions without all the knowledge. And some of the people I talk to not only do they not have the knowledge, they don't want the knowledge. They do not want that knowledge. And I know, and I can testify to this, that if you do not have that Holy Spirit, which leads us into all truth, at best, we can only have some of the truth. And if you've only got some of the truth, you've got none. You can't have some of the truth. The truth is binaries, one or zeros, all or nothing. The Holy Spirit helps us along that straight and narrow path. It helps us make the right decisions in life. I was thinking about, as I was writing this, like that straight and narrow path, it is narrow and it's obviously straight. And it's, and it's those little, it's the little things in life, those little tiny decisions that you try to make to keep on there. And it's quite easy to make the wrong decision if you don't see God first, if you don't have the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't take much to fall off that path. We are blessed. We can always get back on it. By repenting and coming back to Jesus. But without that, without the Holy Spirit, without that knowledge, we are cursed. And yeah, it's not the big decisions that get us all the time. It is those small things. They say that the devil's in the detail. And I think for a good reason. It's those small little things, those small thoughts, those little decisions in life where we don't think it's much, but God's watching everything. He sees the intent and desires of our heart. What do you do first in the morning? What do you do last thing at night? We talk a lot about morning routine in this church, and they're just for you, and like, you know, starting with prayer and Bible. I think it's equally important. What, what do we do last thing at night before? What do we lay our mind on last thing at night? It's the same. It's really important to, but not just bookend, keep it going all day, but let's start and finish and get into that routine. The words we use, the words we use, are the words we use gracious? Are they righteous? Jesus said, and I found two scriptures for this, Matthew 12, 34, Luke 6, 45, that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. For the mouth speaks that which fills the heart. Therefore, you can tell a fool from what he says. You can definitely do that. And God tries, and he tries the reins. He pulls us up. He makes us uncomfortable, so we move. So we seek knowledge, so we try and find understanding. He tests our obedience and our understanding so that we can be corrected. That's why he needs a humble heart. Because we will get it wrong. And if we think we're right, we're never going to be able to receive the teaching of God. I can testify to that as well. (laughs) 
So he is to us like we are to a horse. You know, the, it's a bit of a loose one, but just try and imagine that. In the way that you have to break a horse to, to make it work useful to us, don't we? Otherwise it's wild and going crazy. And God has to break that sin in us. And he won't do it if we're not willing to come to him. And aren't we always praying for something to change in our lives? And that's that test of faith. That is the re- trying the reins. And yet, we have this temptation. We know everything comes from God. But isn't the temptation sometimes intoxicating? Yeah? Almost overwhelming sometimes. And the majority of people working through their lives without a concern for anything except themselves and the people that love them find it tricky to navigate through that. Spare time, consumed by entertainment, the worries of life, busy, general busyness, and well-trodden paths, unwilling to change, stiff-necked. And then where can God come in? Where, what space is there for God left in people's lives? But yet, God's got this universal offer for everyone. Not just me, not just you lot, all of humanity. It's the most wonderful thing. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I shall make an everlasting covenant with you. Everlasting. Nothing can stop that covenant with us. Apart from us, it's back to us again. Paul realised that, we realised that. Remember, God is trying the reins of us all. That's what it says. Some will yield sooner. Some will yield later. And some will yield never at all. Alas. And I, my heart goes out for them and their families. Yet he is working constantly. We sang it today. It's working, always making a way. There is always a way and there is always hope. Ladies and gentlemen, let your soul delight in this abundance. Isn't it an abundance? It's too, almost too much. God promises an abundant life. And I was thinking this. Why? Because without God, we're redundant. Our life is redundant. Because we've got that purpose. The abundantness of life. Without God, you take God something so abundant, so fulfilling, so out of this world, thank God, what are we left with? It's just almost pointless. Romans 8.2 For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. It's so important from that. So there's a law of the spirit and only through the Holy Spirit can you have any hope of getting into that. Without that, there's only one of the law and that's sin and death. The baptism of the Holy Spirit takes our spirit from life to death. From death to life, sorry. It helps us see things as they actually are. And guides us into truth, righteousness, and purpose. It's so critically important. We can stand on this. This is a really strong, firm foundation. He gave us the tongues. He gave us that tongue so that we wouldn't ever question it. And I've, for, people have forced me to question That didn't happen to you. I know it did. I wouldn't have just started speaking like that. I know it happened. And that's why you need that firm foundation. That's why if you didn't have tongues, I'd be like, yeah, maybe I did just make it up. 
You can't make stuff like that up. Ask my daughter. She's a Daddy, can you do it again? And she's trying to copy it and stuff. Uh, one day I pray that she feels and she is filled. We are housed in this flesh. But we, who have the Spirit, are no longer controlled by it. We're no longer subject to the flesh. This is so that we can lay hold of that inheritance. And this is a whole other sermon, the inheritance of Christians. And that inheritance is a spiritual inheritance. There's nothing fleshly after this life. That is that bliss of heaven. Well worth, well worth the effort. Well worth getting outside your comfort zone and trying different things in line with God's will. Try something different. It's those well-worn paths, isn't it? It's so easy. We try and get in a routine every day just because that's easier. Um, and before you know it, you're retiring and life's almost done. You can't, you've got to, I think, out of this, all of us should commit, go back through the Bible, pick something we haven't done, mainly from the Beatitudes, and let's try and get that into our lives and see what happens, okay? I am the first. I am the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundations of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. That's not me. <laughs> That's God, yeah? That is God. Isaiah 48, 12 to 13. Logic and common sense when making the right decisions do not come into it, because if it did, everybody would follow God. It cannot be that. God is telling us that he established all things. He established ordered, he established ordered matter from nothing. He established it in a form that was very useful to us, isn't it? <laughs> Look at the stuff around us. He also established spiritual order, the way things should be. And that spiritual perspective he gave to us through Moses, through that Ten Commandments. This is how you order your life. Yeah, I've given you the abundance and stuff, you know, for, to keep you fed and the roof over your house. This is how you live. And it doesn't make sense that God would get any of this wrong. And therefore we have to change it and evolve it because of the society. Well, well, that's not the God I know. This God doesn't get things wrong, regardless how far we get away from the word. Instead, he gives us the gift of salvation through believing in Jesus Christ. So he gives us the way out. He doesn't change the word, does he? We, don't know why I'm looking at you there. <laughs> this is we all we all start there, yeah. And that is the established order of life sent down from our God. We have the foundation of the physical and the foundation of the spiritual. And if you become out of kilter with either, you'll be in trouble. We see it fleshly a lot. We, I prayed last week. Another friend's got cancer physical world is out and it's obvious and there's so much resource that goes into it but so little comparatively resource goes into align our spiritual characteristics with God from the beginning man has resisted this established spiritual order and has been trying to go his own way for a moment just imagine if there was a Christian Imagine if everybody was like a Christian or Christ-like, putting God first so that he could help us and loving all people in the way we would want to be loved ourselves. What if Jesus 
was serious when he told us to turn the other cheek. Matthew 5, I'm going to read all of this out. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist, don't resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him also have your cloak. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go two with him. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, who love you, what reward have you? Just for a moment, okay, close your eyes. And let's just imagine that playing out in reality. Imagine if we could actually live like this. And I'm talking us just in here, let alone the whole world. Imagine if the whole world just took those those two what we got verse 38 to 46 so we've got eight scriptures we just put those into practice every single day instantly no war there's no war there's no violence there's an immediate distribution of wealth so everybody's got enough to go I, I can't remember I think you might have said it a while ago that if the wealth was evenly divided out across everybody who lives on the planet I think everyone's a millionaire or something. I mean it's just it's sickening it really is. Even distribution of wealth, better parenting, less stress, fewer issues, fewer problems. Just imagine it. Your problems would be like, oh, how can I, really, how, how can I help Linda next week? I'll be focused totally on right. Every week I'll have a different person to try and help. Well, I should do this, shouldn't I? This, this should be my life. Straight away. I'm, but that's instead of, oh, right, I've got four things that I need to do on Monday, and it's me, 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 me. Just for a moment, imagine. That's God. That's what God wants. And then I'm thinking, well, heaven's got to be a bit like that, yeah? And this is why eternal life cannot live with sin. Sin can't have anything to do with this life in heaven because you just couldn't last. It could not last forever with even the slightest, slightest bit of sin, which is against the... Like, we have sin. This is why we have to repent. We're not doing all of that every day, Yeah? And it's not just doing it, it's the intent. So we might force ourselves to, oh, right, I'll walk two miles instead of one. And inside you're cursing the person. And, you know, we're stuck. We still have that indwelling sin that will, will not go away, but we have a way out. It doesn't exist in heaven. And that's why we cannot. That's why you, you've got to have the Spirit. You've got to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Because eternal life cannot have any light, any shadow within it. And that reminds me of another scripture, 1 John 5.3. And I love this one, because I talk to my nearest and dearest, and when I'm talking to them about God, it's like, this is something horrific in their lives. No, it's not grievous, this is good. And the scripture says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his his commandments aren't grievous. They're the exact opposite of that. They would make the world and your life a better place forever. 
wouldn't they? And we're back to that knowledge where they cannot see the good. Jeremiah is saying they cannot, those who follow him, do not recognize a good thing when they see it. They cannot see that good. (laughs) Doing the will of God, resisting the flesh, isn't a bad, bad thing. It is the best medicine we could get, not just for our body, but for our spirits as well. Anyway, we are here. That's, that is a utopian thing in this world. But we can still strive to try and do that. God wants us to. In a society that has gone its own way, here we are. Very little room left for God. And the ones who have actually left some room for God, they seem to worship a totally different God to the one of this book. How can this happen? Simple. We are back again to that lack of knowledge and lack of will to find the truth. Do we know God's will? And do we let him take the reins of our life? Do we let him? We've got to let him and yield to, take, yield to him to allow him to try those reins. And he's always trying them. So he's checking us at every turn whether we are yielding to God or whether we're going our own way. God gives us the answer when he said that his people perish for a lack of knowledge. Hosea 4.6 My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. So they had it. They had it. And they've actively rejected that knowledge. Same as today. But I would also reject you from being priests for me because you have forgotten the law of your God. I will forget your children. Now let that win its course. And we have forgotten the truth. And we have to work all the day with untruths and truths and try and distinguish between the two. If a man can come up with enough believable theories and get these taught in schools so that eventually no one questions them, we end up adapting and getting used. That's how society kind of changes. We get used to a life without God and the thinking of man surreptitiously in our lives through teaching. So we're actively teaching our children the wrong things. And therefore, even the best of people work out, are only working on two out of the three cylinders we've got. Yeah, spirit, soul, body. It's all about soul and spirit, not soul and body. What about the spirit? It's worth considering this for a moment, actually, about you know, the teachings that we get in schools and things like that, and looking at it logically just for a moment. If the foundation of the earth and the universe wasn't put there by God, what exactly would we have to believe? You've probably all thought about this, but I think this is quite cool. In its simplest terms, you would have to believe that that an explosion created established order, the established order that we see before our very eyes. That following the Big Bang or this explosion, that things settled down in more order than which they began with. There's no textbook that I've ever found and no person that can explain this to me that I've asked, that lays out all the proven facts of people uh, being able to test out this theory because of the enormous timescales required. We can test them. Okay, so here's a bit of homework for everybody. Try this experiment at home. For those who've got a garage or a shed, empty it. Empty it of all the wood, every piece of metal, rubber, paint. Make sure it's empty. Make sure there is nothing in there, absolutely nothing. 
If you're really diligent, you'll seal it up as well. Get a pump and suck out all the air as well. So you've got yourself a little vacuum in your garden shed. Okay? And then let's just wait 10 years. Okay, we'll come back here in 10 years' time and see whether the car has appeared. Whether the car, whether your, your, your Mercedes that you're going to get one day, Kev, whether your Mercedes has appeared. Okay, it might not appear. So let's assume it didn't appear after 10 minutes. We'll come back and we'll come back after 100 years. Let's give, give it another 100 years to see what happens. I'm guessing after the 100 years that Mercedes still isn't going to be there. So let's try at 10,000 years. How long do you want to go? And the only thing that is necessary to produce enough blind faith to believe this is 250 million years. Inordinate time frame. And even then, it takes a bit of a leap of faith to believe that that could happen. But that's what we have. And that is why men are without excuse before God. Creation, the very things we see around us, reveal itself as the work of God, or at least the work of some higher power, some creative hand, something that set everything in motion. Yet here we are with so few people able or even aware enough to question the difference between scientific theories and scientifically proven facts. We are left with one fact, that we try to live life as best we can. That's all they're left with, until one of two things. The wheels come off in our life, and then we've got nothing, or we start to seek the Lord. There's only two ways out of that way of thinking, when you realise that we can't live our life. You know, we've been there, yeah? And it's clear that we can be successful Christians, or Christ-like people, trying to be Christ-like people, and we can be successful unbelievers. Even idolaters can be successful in this world. Our God is really gracious, and he's provided more than enough to go around. And both, and God says, there is more than enough for all mankind. And he lets both the believers and the unbelievers grow together until the day of judgment, where the weeds are gathered for the fire and the wheat is gathered for his barn. We can't look to the world for answers, but we can look to the world for signs of our times. And even then, we have such limited vision of what is really going on. We may see but not perceive. Our senses can so easily be tricked. They cannot be trusted. We acknowledge, we can acknowledge our senses and our feelings, but we need to be guided by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit because they don't change. Our senses, our feelings change all the days. If our feelings are telling us to skip church or not to pray, then our reins are being tried once again. Often it is the work of the flesh, through the senses, through our feelings, that draw and push people away from God. We can see that. We can see that here. Don't blindly trust them. That is blind faith, that you think that those feelings, that that manly, worldly logic can bring is the right thing to do, whereas God tells us the right thing to do. God tells us to view everything in a thankful, grateful way. He tells us to thank him for everything the good and the bad, it all somehow ultimately comes from him and it will work out for our good. 
if we give him the glory and follow his word. Some of us might be thinking, my life's a mess. What have I got to be grateful for? There's always something. Roof over your head, food in your stomach, breath in your lungs. Can you read? I often come back to this book. This is incredible. Whether you believe it was from God or not, as a history book, it's the detail, the level of detail is amazing. And the very fact that they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, 100 BC, you can buy a Bible from the Dead Sea Scrolls, the entirety of the book of Isaiah is there, and that's been dated to 100 BC. And that is the same as this, the one we've got. So we know that it's historically accurate. People have gone out digging around in the desert following the, this stuff and found unknown towns that only the Bible tells us about. It just got nothing else to do. Sit down, read, and appreciate what we have. That we can open a book in this modern age and be transported back thousands of years. And the one thing we learn is that man doesn't change. Nor does God. God just provides. If we take a thankful approach to our problems, though, and we do, I'm not trying to kind of glaze over that. We all have day-to-day problems and we all need to work on them. But if we take thanks for them and look at what God is trying to steer us towards, remember that he's steering and the reins, it takes the power out of the negativity of those problems. If we try harder to seek what Jesus was telling us in the Beatitudes, why would we want to put ourselves through even more persecution? What could we possibly learn from that, Jesus? How could that make sense? It doesn't. But you make promises to me that if I can do these things, you will be with me, you will guide me, and you will steal, you will focus me in the future, and you'll put things up, you'll work things for good, even though it seems like it's bad, as long as they stay with you. If we take thanks for the problems, it puts us in a more resourceful state anyway. We don't get carried away with the feelings. Ask God. Ask him, what do you want me to learn from this? Why is it here? He wants us to come to him. He wants us to ask. I would saw a grey diagram. There's us and our goal. Okay? So God tells us, whatever your goal is, just ask him. Straight line. There's us and the goal without God, and it goes like this. We're doing all these little things to try and get there. God makes it really easy. What do you want me to change, O oh Lord? I want to leave you with two, two scriptures. Okay, first one is 1 Peter 2.25. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We have a shepherd. We know that what a gift. And that's nice. It takes a lot of pressure off, doesn't it? I don't have to make all the decisions. God makes them for me. He guides me. I know what is right and what is wrong. Thank you to the Lord. Whatever you do, do not accept the curse of following yours or someone else's way. Come to God, follow him, and let him be the guardian of your soul. I'll leave you with Psalms 121, verse 5. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. 
The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. From this time forth, the time we enter the kingdom of God, from that time when we have that relationship with God, forevermore, he is there with us. Let's end with a prayer. Dear Lord, Lord my God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your great, incredible provision that you've given man, lowly man. But Lord, you are beyond these things. We need input from outside of this world and you give it to us, Lord. Father, I pray that your word, that the teaching from today, that your love, but you give us that power first. Power, then love, you tell us, Father. Fill us with the spirit of power so that we can then love, Lord. I pray that traditional churches, that anyone who seeks you, Father, can gain in wisdom, can gain in knowledge, and then can be filled with your Holy Spirit, Father, and know your will, and make those decisions, Lord. 